You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I was wrestling a bit what to, to share this morning, and uh, midweek did a bit of a, bit of a pivot, and a uh, number, number of events have transpired in our lives this week that really have, have led me to this today. And so I hope, it's a, I hope it's an encouragement to your heart, a challenge to your heart, and is as meaningful to you as these words of Scripture are to me. Uh, when we lived back in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the places I would enjoy visiting it was, was Gettysburg. Uh, we loved to walk and, and hike and like history. And so uh, we were about 45 minutes from Gettysburg, where one of the, the bloodiest battles of the U.S. Civil War took place. And uh, we'd, take, we'd take time, and just even a day, and just walk the battlefields and, and look at some of the markers and, and the, you know, the memorials, all the stuff that was, was raised there. But I remember there was one particular visit where kind of the magnitude of, of the casualties and, and death of that particular battle uh, really, really hit home. Uh, there from July 1st through 3rd in 1863, they estimate there was well over 51,000 casualties over that three-day event and over 7,000 killed with many who died following the battle from disease or, or infection or whatever else. And as I pondered that, uh, you begin to walk the battlefields and, and you begin to see the markers, right, or the tombstones. And I don't know if you've ever, ever noticed this, but uh, on a tombstone, you usually have uh, a name, maybe a verse or something about them, but, but there's always a date, right? There's a start date, and then there's an end date. And in the middle is what? Okay, I'm looking for a response. In the middle is a dash. And it struck me that one day, walking the battlefield, that you know, for those 7,000-plus killed over those few days... Here I am, 100-something years later, walking the battlefield, looking at those dashes, recognizing, I, I, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what their story was. I wonder what that dash represents. Did they have family? Did they have a spouse? Did they have kids? What did they do for a living? Did they want to be fighting in the war? Did they... All these thoughts go through your head on, I wonder how they lived their dash. Did they make the most of their dash? Would they say they made the most of their dash? I want to contemplate that with you today. Last week, uh, Pastor Paul was here. He spoke from the beginning of 2 Timothy and talked about how we need to live our lives unashamed of the gospel, uh, helped us think through living out our lives a bit in, in light of eternity. And I want to pick up on that a little bit today, and I want us to go to the end of 2 Timothy and begin to look at some of the final words of the Apostle Paul. And see what we can garner, see what we can learn from him about making the most 
of this dash God has entrusted to you. Every single one of us here today, we've been fearfully, wonderfully made, created. You've been given life. You've been given breath. And here you are today. You're living out your dash. Some of you are fairly new to your dash. You're only maybe 10 years in, 20 years in, 30 years in. Some of you a little further along like me, and some of you even further along than me, right? And here we are together as a group of people living out our dashes. And I think from the Apostle Paul, as he speaks some of his final words to his young protege, Timothy, I think we can learn a few things about how we can make the most of the dash God has entrusted to you. Whether that's a dash that lasts 30 years or 100 years, how do we make the most of it? So you're not there already. Take your Bibles and let's go to the end of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Bibles, your devices, some Bibles in the seats in front of you if you need one. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're just going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8 today. Remember the context of Paul here. Paul, these are some of his final words. He's been in house arrest for a number of years, now moved to an actual prison dungeon. He knows his days are coming to an end. He's writing to Timothy some of his final thoughts, final words, final challenge to, to this young man. We would see if we were to keep reading on. He asks Timothy, would you bring me some books? Would you bring me my cloak? It's cold. It's damp. Paul recognizes, as we'll see from his words here, his dash is coming to an end. And so let's look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul writes this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living. We thank you that it is powerful. And we pray that it would impact our hearts, our minds, our behaviors greatly today. As we've sung already, Spirit of the living God, would you move, would you work, would you fall fresh upon us as we consider what it is to live out our lives, making the most of the dash that you have entrusted to us. We commit ourselves to you in this time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. First thing I'd like us to consider is this concept, this thought. You only have one. You only have one race to run. You have one dash to run. Look at Paul says there in verse six, begins by saying, Timothy in verse five, right? He challenges Timothy. Hey, Timothy, I need you to be sober minded. I need you to do suffering. I need you to do the work of the evangelist. I need you to fulfill your ministry. Here's why Timothy. And Paul goes now in verse six, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My life is being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Now, there's some very interesting imagery that Paul uses there that would have been clearly understood by Timothy. The first one that's addressed, Paul says, my life, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. 
within the, the, the Judaism, it would have been this clear understanding that the drink offering was one of the offerings that was made in conjunction with a number of the other Old Testament offerings. Uh, both, um, I think it was grain offerings, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, the drink offering would accompany that and the drink offering was, was simply a chalice or a cup filled with wine that would be poured out to the last drop upon the sacrifice. And so this imagery is being made by Paul, and he says, I have lived out my life as a living sacrifice, and it's if this cup is being poured out, and Paul is saying, I'm down in essence to the last few drops Why? Because Paul is fully cognizant that the time for his departure from this earth has come. He knew his days were numbered. It's interesting, that word departure also carries some very significant meaning. Literally carries the idea of unloosed, something that is unloosed. And it often would describe, back within within the culture, it described a vessel a vessel that had been tied up and then it is unloosed so that it could set sail out into the sea. And so Paul is saying, look, Timothy, my life is like this. My life is like a drink. I've lived as a living sacrifice and the drink offering were down to the last drop. And in essence, my life here on earth, it's been unloosed and I'm getting ready to sail off like a vessel into eternity. And so Paul is just simply stating, look, my journey is coming to an end. And as I consider that in those words he writes to Timothy, it really just struck me again this week that we only have one. We only have one dash to live, one race to run. And again, whether that's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, I don't know for you. But you need to be aware that you have one, one race to run here on earth. I think you can probably think with me, we've all had those moments, right, where where we step back and consider this idea that we do only have one race to run here on earth and then eternity. And to be honest with you, we we get really caught up in the things of this world, don't we? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I can really just get living out my, my day and my week, and you've got your calendar on your phone, and it's beeping you here and taking you here, and you just start living your life according to schedule and routine, and all this stuff happens. And then you have these moments. You have these moments that kind of pull you out of the normal and remind you, man, I've only got one race to run. I was reflecting on some of those moments in my life and see if any of them resonate with, with you. Some of those moments that remind you, it's, you know, life is going, it's, it's like this, one dash, one dash to live. In the light of eternity, it's, it's a quick one. I remember back in 1988, yes, I am that old to remember 1988, but I was 17 at the time. And my grandfather, whom I was very close with, passed away very suddenly. And for the first time, really, as a 17-year-old, confronted with the reality that you don't run the dash forever here on earth. 
I remember back in 2001, we had, uh, our, our kids were both real young at the time, and we were at McDonald's getting ice cream, and we we're going to go down. We lived in Concord at the time. We we're going to go down the lake, enjoy the sunset with some ice cream, and um, we got a call. We got a call from Susan's family, and it was this call that said, we don't know what you're doing, but you need to drop everything, and you need to get to Pennsylvania as quickly as possible. Dad's got a brain bleed, and they don't think he's going to make it through the night. Bring stuff into perspective very quickly. I remember still as a young pastor back in 2002, we had a young couple in the church with a set of twins, and their one two-year-old twin died that year from a brain tumor. And to this day, just I, I can visualize so clearly that little white casket. Man, there's a dash that so quick. We can think back in 2010. I was one year away from turning 40, and I think it was the summer of that year. And you do what you're supposed to do. You go get a physical, make sure everything's okay. And I remember, I, I'm not like a doctor guy at all. Like me going to the doctor, that's, I just don't really believe in that for some reason, even though it's really important. So hear me on that. But I remember going as a 39-year-old and saying, yeah, make Susan happy. We'll just go. And that was the first time ever in my life the blood work didn't come back perfect. I was like, shoot, I guess I am moving along here, right? Think back to 2014. Another one of those calls that we weren't expecting. We were going down to Pennsylvania. Uh, Susan's brother had been battling cancer, had finished all his treatments. Things had been going very well. And the whole family was going to gather from, from Texas, from Canada. We were all going to gather together in Pennsylvania and celebrate her brother being done his cancer treatments. And we were on our way down when we got another one of those phone calls that said, he's taking a turn for the worse. And it caught us all off guard. We were going to celebrate. We were going to celebrate his completion of treatments. And we ended up four days later at his funeral. He was 55 years old. Right? The dash. The dash. And it's true. I, again, I don't know if you're like me, but but I can get really comfortable just living out my days and living out my life and assuming we got forever to go and we have these moments where we're reminded of just how quickly, how quickly things can change. I've had the opportunity over the years to travel to Africa a number of times. And one of the things I've always marveled about our brothers and sisters in Christ as they live out their faith for him is they, they truly seek to make the most of their dash every day because they do not know what tomorrow is going to hold. They don't know what kind of turmoil. They don't know if they'll be able to feed their families tomorrow. They don't know what disease might. They truly live their lives making the most of their dash every day, recognizing today is a gift from God. I'm going to make the most of it today and we'll trust him for tomorrow. It's great perspective, great perspective. And I think that's the Paul that's Paul's perspective. It's what Paul had grown into as he matured as a follower of Jesus. This recognition that I only have one race to run, and only God knows how long I get to run that race. 
And we're all going to hit that point where we're poured out as drink offerings and, and our time of departure has come. And my question is, is when our time of departure comes, will we be able to, with confidence, say, I've made the most of the dash God has given me? How would you answer that question today? Well, we're going to look at verse 7 in a moment. We're going to unpack three clauses that Paul gives that define the race he has sought to run, the, the, the dash he has sought to live out. But let me just, a bit of a side note here. Let me just say this. Sometimes I hear people say, Tim, if you only knew my life, if you only know what I've lived through, you only know the choices, decisions I've made, I, I hear people at times say, it's too late for me. I just want to say this. That's a lie. It's not. It's not too late. If you're here this morning or watching, it's not too late. Think about who's writing these words. It's Paul, who before he met Jesus was Saul, one of the most violent persecutors of Christians ever to have walked the earth. And yet God rescued him, God redeemed him, God saved him, changed his trajectory, and he made the most of his dash. It's never too late. It's never too late. For some of you here today, I just want to encourage you with this thought. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would really love to encourage you today to consider him, to consider Jesus. I believe with all my heart that there is a, a God who has created you. And he's created you to live this one life here on earth. And the reality is we live in a broken, fallen world. And it's because we as human beings have sinned. We, we've chose to disobey this holy creator, God. And the only way, the only way you will find meaning and hope and life in this jash of yours is to turn to Jesus, to consider Jesus, to recognize that he made payment for your sin before a holy God so that all who would call upon his name might be given life and life eternal, that you can make the most of your dash and you can live with meaning, you can live with purpose. So if you've never done that, I just want to encourage you to really consider Jesus today. For those of you who are following Jesus, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, here's how you and I can make the most of our dash. Look at verse 7 again with me. Three clauses used here in verse 7. And I believe, actually, these three clauses, as we unpack them here today, we're going to see they really are contained within an athletic context. This idea of an athletic competition. And I'll explain why as I continue to go. But the first thing I want us to see from the very first clause is that we run our dash for God by doing this, by contending with purpose. Contending with purpose in the race of life. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. It's interesting that the word that is used there for fight, oftentimes we think of the word fight as, you know, put your fists up and, and we'll have a physical fight. 
but it's, it's actually a, a word that carries within it is translated in other parts of the Bible as compete. Or, or in, in 1 Corinthians 9, it's used and talked about as an athlete that is competing with, with purpose. In fact, let me read that for us. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, at the very beginning of verse 25, where Paul says every athlete exercises, it's the same word for fight here in 2 Timothy 4. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." And so as Paul says, I have fought the good fight, he's speaking here about contending, about competing with purpose, with intentionality. This idea that I need to, I need to train, I need to work hard to compete, to contend for the faith, for the life I have in Christ. Literally, you could read it almost this way, uh, based upon, upon the Greek word, is this idea of Paul could say, I am agonizing the good agony. You know that, that agony an athlete feels as they train, as they prepare for a race? There are these moments where they experience the agony that comes with preparation, the hard work that comes with preparation, so that they could run the good race. Paul here is saying, look, as my life comes to an end, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've contended with purpose. I've competed with purpose. I've laid it all out for God to protect, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I guess the question to us is, does your life, does my life reflect such an attitude? You say, well, how? How, Tim? How do I, how do I reflect this, this contending with purpose, competing with purpose, fighting the good fight? What does that look like in my life on a day-by-day basis? Well, let me just give you one suggestion. Train in the area of spiritual discipline. Every day, discipline yourself to read God's Word, to pray, intentionality around serving and giving of yourself and your life for the glory of Christ, to advance his gospel, to recognize it's a spiritual battle to make those things a reality in your life. And so in order to make them a reality in your life, you have to train. You have to equip yourself to compete, to contend with purpose, with intentionality, to fight the good fight. Listen, the goal of being able to say, I've run it, I've finished, isn't just to get to the finish line dragging, but to get to the finish line with strength and perseverance, with a heart that says, it hasn't been easy, but I trained for this. I was equipped with this and for this. Make the most of your dash by contending with incredible, incredible purpose.
It's interesting. One of the reasons I wanted to speak on that this, this, this week is I had a great conversation this past week with an individual. And uh, this couple, uh, mid-50s mid and have wrapped up a, a career, a, a business here, they've made the decision to spend their second half and go and serve the Lord on the mission field. I was greatly inspired by that. I thought, how fantastic. They, they've, they've trained, they've called upon God. They're saying, we want to live with, with this intentionality. We want to contend for the faith. We want to compete with purpose. We want to live on mission. And they're following the Lord's leading into that next step. What about you? What about you? Are you daily, are you regularly training, equipping yourself with the tools that God has given us to contend with incredible purpose, to fight the good fight? Paul goes on to say, I finished the race. Here's how I would put this. Run your dash for God by finishing with endurance the race, your dash. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Listen to what God's word says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says, look, even if you're going to run your race with great intentionality, with great purpose, even if you run your race saying, I'm going to fight the good fight, Paul was able to say as his departure had come, I finished the race. I finished the course God set out before me. And like Paul, and like even the example of Jesus Christ himself, we know all you got to do is live life a little bit, and you know that the race God calls you to run isn't always going to be easy. In fact, there are days and there are moments when you think about, do I even stand a chance of making it to the finish line for Jesus? Like, life is that hard. Maybe you're, maybe you're just far more spiritual and mature than I am, but honestly, I have days where you wonder, this world is evil. Life is hard. I mean, am I going to make it following Jesus and finishing my race for him? It's interesting. The word for perseverance used in Hebrews, it's used often throughout the number of times throughout the New Testament, often translated endurance or perseverance. It's a compound word that carries with it this idea of remaining under. Remaining under. And part of making the most of your dash is that you and I have to learn what it is to remain under the trials God asks us to walk through. This idea that as I contend and as I fight and as I run my race, there are going to be these moments where I have to be willing to remain under the trial God has allowed in my life, the challenge God has allowed in my life, so that I, like Paul, can make the most of my dash and come to the end and say, I finished. I finished the race with all its ups and downs. I finished my race making the most of it for the glory of Christ. Remember, as Paul is writing this, as Paul is saying, I have finished the race, Paul is in a dungeon ready to face execution. 
And if you read and study the life of Paul, you know he faced tremendous trials and tremendous challenges. Near death numerous times, shipwrecks, all sorts of stuff. But Paul, Paul was willing to remain under those persecutions. He was remaining under those trials because he was running with purpose to see the gospel spread throughout the world. Listen, we live, isn't this the truth? We live in a cultural context where we will do anything and everything and spend anything to avoid pain. We do. We don't like pain. Oh, I have a little headache. Get the Tylenol, right? I don't say it's a bad thing, but we, we do everything we can to avoid trouble, to avoid pain, to avoid challenge. The goal of being able to say, I have finished my race, isn't just my life has come to an end, but be able to honestly look back And even as the writer of Hebrews said, to be able to honestly look back and said, as I ran my race, as I remained under the trials, I did so with my eyes fixed on Jesus. Through the good and through the bad, my eyes were fixed on Jesus. Through the easy and the hard, my eyes were fixed on Jesus. Through the joys and through the pains, my eyes were fixed on Jesus. Why? He's the author, perfecter of our faith who set the very example for us on how to run our race. I can remember a personal season in life where ministry had gotten uh, very hard. There was just a number of things going on. And I remember there was a, a point where one day I was sitting in my office at the church and I just began, I just began sobbing just began sobbing and just overwhelmed with this sense of, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just don't think I can do this anymore. It wasn't out of anger or just, it was just that overwhelming sense of, God, I just don't, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I was thankful for an elder in the church that we, we shared with and they actually they had a cabin up in the woods of Pennsylvania, and they said, you and Susan, you just get in the car, and you go, and you spend time, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Just get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't worry about anything else. Just put everything else aside, and you go, and through your tears, and through your heartache, and through whatever, you go, and you get your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it was days. It was a couple days worth of just up in the mountains, out in the woods, Praying and fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not so that we came back all fired up, ready to go again, but so that we were able to come back and go, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep running. And I just want to encourage some of you here today. Imagine in a group this size and first hour, there may be some of you here today going, I'm just, Tim, if I could be brutally honest, I'm just ready to quit. You might be sitting there, a bit of a smile on your face or blank stare like some of you right now, but inside your heart, you're going, if you only knew, if people around me only knew what I was walking through right now, what my family was going through, the hardship, the heartache, 
Some of you, I have a feeling you might be ready to quit today. Can I just encourage you? God in his sovereignty has allowed these things into your life. It's a part of your race. I don't necessarily know why. Might never know why. But will you fix your eyes on Jesus? And finish the race he has set before you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Finally, Paul says, I've kept the faith. And in verse 7 there, the third clause, I have kept the faith. And when you take this statement within the context of an athletic competition, I would put it then this way. In light of the athletic con- context, we, we, we run our dash for God by living in obedience to his rules. I have kept the faith. I have kept the rules. I have sought to live my life in obedience to him. This is what 1 John 2, 6 simply says. Whoever, whoever says he abides in him, that is Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Paul is saying, I have come to the end of my life and I haven't lived it perfectly, but he said, I have sought to follow the rules. I've sought to live in accordance to God's truth, God's way. Listen, we won't do this perfectly, and praise God, he's a forgiving God. But, but as you make the most of your dash, do you have this desire within your heart to follow God's rules? Do you desire to follow his way, his truth? Because John says you can't claim to live in him and walk in him if you live a full life of outright disobedience. And again, don't misunderstand me. We're going to have moments where we sin and we disobey. That's why we repent, we confess our sin. He's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sin. But do you strive, do you strive on a regular basis to live your life in obedience to the truth of God's word? And I recognize it's very countercultural. but here's what I've come to learn. When I was younger and somewhat earlier on in my dash, the idea of living in obedience to God's rules, of keeping the faith, it was very, in many ways, very legalistic in the sense of a box, boxes to check, right? I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to try and do it God's way because I need to check some, some boxes. Here's what I've come to learn as the years have gone by. True peace of heart, true joy within your life, living with hope, And really just a fullness of God's joy really comes out of a life of obedience. So often we live in a world that says, if you want the quick fix, you want to have a little fun, just do it the world's way. And and we all know this, right? It feels good for a moment, but, but it doesn't last. And you either keep living in disobedience to try and get that fix over and over and over again, or you come to a place in your life where you realize, if I choose to do it God's way, according to the truth of God's word, that's where true fulfillment and joy and peace and love, all the wonderful blessings of living a life in obedience to Christ, there's this huge blessing in that inspires us, motivates us to make the most of our dash with a heart that is right before the Lord. So I would put it this way. 
you would maybe say, as we come to the end of verse 7, Tim, how would you summarize that? What's the, what's the heart of the matter there? What's, what's Paul really getting after? Here's how I would answer this question. How then shall you run? How then will you make the most of your dash? Here's what I would say to you today. Make the most of your dash by contending with purpose and perseverance, the race course God has set before you in accordance with his rules. That's simple. Make the most of your dash by contending with purpose and perseverance, the race course God has set before you in accordance with his rules. You say, ah, sounds good, Tim, but why? Will it be worth it? Well, look at verse 8 quickly with me. Paul says, my time has come to depart. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And then he says this, henceforth, Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all, also to all who have loved his appearing. These words often spur me on on a regular, regular basis. Why do we want to make the most of our dash? Because it will be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. Paul says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I really believe these verses are to be seen through an athletic context because that word for crown is stephnos, and it speaks of the victor's crown, the victor's wreath that would be placed on the head of the one who ran the race well to win. And it's this imagery Paul is saying, as we seek to make the most of our dash and run the race God has put before us, he says, there is being held for you. God has on reserve for you the crown of righteousness that will be awarded to all who long and love for his appearing. There's a victor's wreath awaiting you if you will live out your life and make the most of your dash. We're told it's going to be awarded by the righteous judge, who, of course, is Christ Jesus. But for all who will live out their lives longing, longing to see Jesus, living in light of eternity, that's really what it's saying there. As we make the most of our dash, are we living each and every day, living in light of the truth that maybe today, maybe today is the day Jesus comes back. Maybe today is the day I will close my eyes and see him face to face. Are we living in light of those realities of that truth? Paul says, hey, for all who loved of his appearing, for all who live in light of his return and seeing him face to face, he says, there's a victor's crown for you. You got to make the most of your dash. We got to live with that eternal perspective. Live with that eternal perspective. I often think of a, um, a hymn, and it's actually a hymn that Usually when I hear this hymn, quite truthfully, it's usually at a funeral. I'm just being brutally honest with you. It's when someone's dash has come to an end. But it's an old hymn entitled, When We See Christ. And it goes like this. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. 
We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. And then the refrain goes like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I really felt compelled to share these thoughts this morning because we, we had this week within our family, we had a, I didn't think I'd get emotional hour too, but here we go. Um, we had a tough start to our week. There's a young lady we knew quite well by the name of Nicole that we got word early in the week that at 33, she passed away from breast cancer. Wonderful husband, two tiny little kids. And honestly, right, we're left like so many just going, why? We don't, I don't know. We don't understand the why. We just have to trust the sovereign God in all this. But, but one of the things we were so encouraged by as we reflected a bit on, on her life and some of our, our interactions and that with her. She only lived here for 33 years, but wow, did she make the most of the 33 years God gave her. I remember Nicole's story. Her testimony is one where God really got a hold of her heart when she was a teenager. And her mom actually passed away at a young age from breast cancer. And instead of becoming angry and bitter with God at that, God really used that to turn her life around. She really started to live a life of passion for Jesus. She lived that way as a wife, as a mom, but... She also had a real heart for teen, teenagers. She was a counselor to troubled teens. And numerous times within the church, we, we would tap Nicole to say, hey, we've got, we've got someone walking through some deep waters. Would you, would you come? Would you love them? Would you minister to them? Would you bring your experience into their lives? And, and truthfully, one of the things that was really emotional for us was She played a huge impact, huge impact on my daughter's life at just the right time. You know, our daughter following Jesus the way she is today, and we would attribute a lot of that to Nicole. Anyways, lots to be said, but it struck me this week again. Whether God gives you 10, 15, 20, 30, 33, 50, 80, 100, I don't know what he's going to give you. But can I just plead with you? My pastoral plea today is make the most of it. Make the most of it for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. This dash is but, it's so quick. You know, something silly I do, I, I, you know, you're probably all a lot more mature than I am, but... Um, one of the tools I use to help me, I've done this for years, actually, but uh, I'll, I'll keep in my Bible or I'll use it as a bookmark and I'll, I'll just make a new one every once in a while. 
I just take a little little cue card. I don't know. You, you write this in your journal, something with your electronic device, whatever you want to do. But I do. I've done this quite, for quite a while now. I've got my start date. I got a whole bunch of question marks, and a nice nice dash right there in the middle. And then I just write myself a little note. Make the most of your dash, Tim. So you know what? As I'm reading my Bible in the morning, I, I see this little note, and it's that reminder of you know what? I don't know if I've got tomorrow, but I seem to have today. And so, Lord. Help me make the most of it. Help me to fight the good fight. Help me to finish whatever the race is I got to run today. And Lord, help me keep the faith to live, live in obedience to you. I don't know what you need, what's going to help you, but do something. Do something to keep yourself on track.